0: that that is where i think the the two things that we the two parts of this come together and the true sense of a partnership can deliver really strong commercial returns but it grow the pie for everybody and connect more fans with the things that they love but i think that's the biggest opportunity that's staring the rights holders in the face at the moment
1: hi everyone and welcome once again to the sportsbro podcast my name is is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at at SportsPro. I hope you're well. Uh, We are going to be talking about sponsorship this time, uh, more specifically about the digital transformation of sponsorship and the role of data in growing the value of sports partnerships. Uh, Delighted to have with me for this conversation, Tom Huggins, the co-founder and COO of Green Room Digital. Hello, Tom. Hello, Owen. Nice Nice to be here. Great to have you with us and great to have as well Sven Glor, the Senior Manager for HSBC Global Brand Partnerships. Hello Sven, I hope I got that right first time because I didn't check before. You have, (laughs) great to be here. Um, Guys, there's a lot to get through. I mean, it's a fascinating uh, conversation to have with Sven here because obviously HSBC have been so established in the sports sponsorship space for a really, really long time. They've been involved with some real marquee properties and continue to be. And I suppose understanding the evolution of sponsorship through the evolution of your goals, Sven, and uh, and your activities is, is going to be really meaningful, I think, for a lot of people. But let's start, Tom, just with an introduction to Green Room, uh, to your side of things, and and what that business is about.
0: Yeah, sure thing. Um, we are a, a performance-focused digital and data activation business. Um, but ultimately, we exist to help rights holders and brands enhance the fan experience through partnerships while demonstrating pretty clear and direct commercial returns. Um, you can probably tell from my accent that we, we started off in Australia before expanding to the UK about uh, three years ago through a partnership we have with CSM um, and now working on
1: projects all over the world, which has been really exciting. Yeah. And, and how does a partnership like the one with HSBC work? How does it break down?
0: Well, from our side of things, was uh, was very much coming into uh, an established partnership that HSBC had with World Rugby Sevens, uh, and just working on how we can extract more value from the the rights and entitlements, the digital assets, the audience that is connected to such a big property, and how we can build a more scalable program across all of the different markets and the key areas to to just focus on that audience and data acquisition through a partnership, but ultimately just how we can bring fans closer. by creating new experience, creating new content and amplifying new content, but with a a real focus on can we demonstrate that there's been a direct commercial return from the activity that we've been doing as well. And that's really led on to um, some other properties within the portfolio from um, the likes of the Wimbledon over here or British Cycling, but also getting into um, some activations around Spurs now as well. But uh, just trying to find a way of how we can connect the HsPC audience through partnerships in in a slightly different way.
1: And Sven, from your perspective, where did the partnership with Green Room start from what what was what were you looking for um, when that that approach happened?
2: yeah, it's a great question. So for us, you know we've been invested now in a number of our properties for for near on ten years or more. Um, and there's there's a benefit, and there's also um, I guess some some challenges with that as well. so there's there's authenticity and credibility built up over that 10 years, but with that comes an element of, of also fatigue as well. And we've been on this journey now while looking for ways to evolve our partnerships, um, almost sort of evolution meets revolution. And the one area that we've, I guess, like many in industry have have clocked onto at the moment is this idea of extracting more value through fan databases, through rights holders. So we spent some time with, with Green Room and very much aligned in terms of approach, what are ways to extract more value from our partnerships? um less sort of probably B2B and a little bit less narrow. Um, we've been probably guilty of being a little traditional in some of our sponsors approach. And Green Room have helped sort of push us down the road. And I think on top of that, also COVID has sort of catapulted us down the road in the sense that if you take away the the tournaments and events, so let's say I use Wimbledon as an example, it's a two week period over a year long period, then what what is that value return for the rest of the of the year, the rest of the remaining fifty weeks? And that's where we've talked to Tom and Graham and Tim about what is that value return to sort of flatten out some of those peaks and troughs if you are traditionally wedded to a, a tournament or event-focused approach.
1: Let's, um, let's just catch everyone up on what HSBC's position is now in the sponsorship marketplace. As, as I said at the top, it's been a prolific sponsor down the years. As, as you say there, it's been quite traditional. It's had quite a lot of B2B positions in, in sports like golf and tennis. Um, but what does the, the portfolio look like now?
2: Yeah, so there's, there's sort of two parts to it. So if you look at the, the traditional, the legacy pieces, so it has been very much uh, founded by sort of tennis, rugby and golf. So we're still in, very much in golf across the men's and women's champions, uh, Abu Dhabi Golf Championship and the Open here in the UK. Uh, Wimbledon has come up to a decade of partnership and, and also our partnership with World Rugby for the Sevens now is, is 10 years as well. The last two to three years has seen sort of evolve um, a little bit more I guess a, a regional almost federated approach so we've looked at British cycling in the UK as more of a societal and causal uh, partnership approach uh, Tottenham as well but we've also from a, I guess more of a central regional hub uh, looked at the BWF partnership so uh, partnering with badminton across the world and we're now evolving more into a we're developing a, a culinary strategy at the moment as well um, which again is international and a, and a lot of our, our framework has to be sort of aligned we look for things that are a combination of locally relevant, but also you know, sort of meet the international needs of the bank, given our global focus.
1: And has that changed much? That strategy at the top line has that changed much? Um, we'll, we'll move on to the kind of the delivery and the execution of it. But in the last few years, is it is it that different from what you were doing ten years ago in terms of what your outcomes are that you want?
2: I, I think I think yes. I think manifestly different in the sense of we're now being probably two things. One, we're more things to more parts of the business. So we were traditionally very much B2B focused around our clients and customers. We now talk about it, the model has been extended from what was the three Cs, I guess, clients, colleagues and community to this five C model now, which we talk about, which is splitting out clients, which is B2B. So customers are much wider now, which is where the work with Green Room has been has been very much forthcoming, helping us expand on that. Talking to our employees, talking to our communities and a very much more of a, a comms led approach that's directly linked into our brand now. So we're We're changing the way we use our sponsorships. So while a lot of them are still in place from, I said, a decade ago, the way we're extracting value from them, this is the journey we're on at the moment with the likes of Green Room, has has changed. And and again, I said it earlier, but I think the impact of of COVID when you take away the events and, and sport, if that's sort of the bedrock of your portfolio, then what's left? So we've really spent a lot of time sort of unpicking our partnerships and trying to extract a lot more from them in the absence of live sporting events.
1: Tom, when you begin a relationship with an organization like HSBC on the brand side, I think we'll talk about rights holders and, and how they can kind of prepare for sponsorships a, l- a little bit later on. But on that brand side, what are you examining at the outset? What are you finding out about the partnerships they have, about the potential customers they have, et cetera, et cetera?
0: As a starting point, we we try to keep it reasonably simple. And it is just to um, to see what we can do with what already exists. Uh, the example that i, I just referenced at the top with our work with HSBC and the sevens started off in uh, with a proof of concept in Canada, which was a, a kind of a growth market for for HSBC. And it was just around that single tournament to see if we could run, you know, a pilot to, to demonstrate what we can actually extract out of a partnership. So we we often start with, um, with pretty simple, but to set some clear KPIs on what success looks like. Uh, putting some projections around like what do we think the audience will look like what do you think that will resonate with but it's more on what we find out at the at the other end and just having to think about what happens next because a lot of the time we, we don't really understand uh, exactly how the partnership will perform until we we start uh, working on it and then it is just by having a, a fairly nimble approach to to optimizing and then having a good plan on on how we're going to use all of this information gathered at the other side but yeah, ultimately, it is just to understand what's available within a partnership. Um, I think that's probably a key area that probably stepping ahead into the rights area, rights holder area is that uh, digital and data assets are often thrown in like the steak knives. Um, so just trying to work with a rights holder on how we can define what they can do for us is a pretty important first step as well for any, uh, for any new project. And that's exactly how we started with HSBC.
1: What point are we at with data? In understanding uh, the value of a partnership, what are what are the the key metrics that you're looking at in that first phase?
0: I think at the at the outset, I think one of the the challenges, in, and probably just to build on what Sven had said earlier, that when we went through the last eighteen months and there wasn't um, there wasn't too many sports to be actually talking about, we didn't have the audiences, and there was almost an exclusive focus on data and digital. Um, we can be probably overly granular on what we should expect out of the digital and data assets. I think we need to take it, like, even for what we do, it is really around how we can harness all the good things about a partnership. We know the brands get involved because they want brand fame and they want the connection with the audience and seeing fans back in the stands, especially over here now. Yeah, we're, we're just kind of looking at how we can harness um, the passion of the audience and direct it in the right way for the, the correct engagement for a brand. But as a starting point, it is just to look at, yeah, how much does a rights holder understand of their own audience and then how much do they know about uh, the audience of a, of a brand like an HSBC and can they identify a bit of the overlap and give us a clear plan on how we can connect with them through the right content. So it's really just do we, do we feel confident that a rights holder understands their audience you know, well enough to be
1: able to position their own assets in the right way to be of meaningful value to a brand. Sven, from your perspective, how much more is, uh, is is sponsorship now? How much more pragmatic is it? How much more is it a matter of of conversion rather than brand awareness? Is that still part of a mix, or is it shifting now to start wanting to see each dollar returned?
2: No, I, I think again going back to the point about so the last eighteen months and and what was suffice to say was satisfactory, I guess, in terms of a traditional sponsorship model. That, that's evolved rapidly, and I said sort of, it's sort of been catapulted down the road now into how are we being perceived as delivering more value as opposed to being an expensive vanity project? So there's been a lot more questions asked internally, more so than ever before. So as we're looking to justify, I think that that shift is, is definitely underway. And, you know, we sort of got to set ourselves an unofficial mantra as such, which is right, with our partnerships, you know, externally, in terms of the shop front window, how could be more things than, than just a bank? And how can we get our partnerships to help that cause? internally we're looking to be more things to more parts of the bank and that's very much where the work of green room has been instrumental and so i guess we've had to walk the albeit or, or the virtual floors of late but we're talking to many more parts of the business now whether that be brand which has always sort of been a traditional conversation around you know, amplifying their story but more so from uh, propositions uh, and product service offering around how can we help their particular agenda um, and put partnerships to work now those conversations are, are relatively new we haven't had those in the past and what we're finding is that the power of data and using, you know, the, the passion that you have that I guess at the cornerstone of our partnerships to really connect those, we're finding that we're now, you know, we've got a lot a lot bigger audience internally um, and we've been seeing very much to, you know, to to help amplify existing activity as well as go out and, you know, track new prospects um, to fill the funnel on their side as well. So we're, we're sort of win, win-win scenario at the moment um, in this new new approach.
1: Let's go back into your portfolio again and just have a think about how some of those partnerships might serve the, uh, the 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 deliverables that you want to meet. Um, let's start with sevens, given that that's where you started with green room. Um, what's the what's the target for that partnership?
2: So, if we look at it traditionally, if you look at the event period, it was again very much a predominantly B two B focus and sort of played a supporting brand role. What we've been unearthing with the the power, I guess, the the green room offering, and the engine that sits behind that now is if you can extract the the right data in the right manner and put it to work. And there's a whole nother scenario around that, which I'll talk about, which is one part of the equation is getting access to the data, which we're starting to to get that part of the equation right, but actually putting it to work in the right manner is something else. So the theory and the practice is very much two different things. And so Greenroof have helped us through the Sevens Partnership as, I guess, a test pilot, but attract new audiences. So we've had the ability to talk to people we haven't traditionally spoken to through the Passion for Sevens. And we've been able to offer up a product and service offering and let's be fair we're a large multinational banks so we're not a, a passion purchase by any means but through the the partnerships and the, the passion these fans have for it we've been able to have this conversation now which is a warm lead and leading down the lead nurture paths which is you know new territory for us we haven't had that opportunity before so we're finding new audiences we're offering up products and services that we haven't had before through our partnership approach and we've now got happy internal key stakeholders that we've never spoken in the past so we're we're making large inroads thanks to the power of these fan databases which we haven't really tapped before
1: and then to move on to a a slightly newer partnership with british cycling my understanding of that from speaking to to both sides a few years ago is that that was pitched at the outset as kind of a an internal piece as much as an external piece you employ a lot of people it, as well as having the kind of brand visibility with british cycling this was an opportunity to uh, create programs that got your own staff more active got your own staff more interested in, in cycling, what kind of role does data then play uh, in, in making something like that happen?
2: So again, that's a, the evolution, I guess, of our portfolio. So the British cycling would sit very much in the, the brand purpose and value strategy. So the purpose-led approach and the idea of effectively getting getting Britain moving um, and getting 2 million people on, on bikes, new, new people to ride bikes across the country. So in terms of, of reach and amplification of that, we've, had, we've managed to use data to both sign up to the British Cycling Memberships to get involved in the sport, but to also from an HSBC point of view, we've had the ability to, to serve up products and services, again, through that database access that we haven't had in the past. So for us, it's been a, again, a, a, it's a different approach. It's, it's less sort of the B2B uh, pure event-based strategy and more of a, I guess it's a, a wider amplification approach where we've used data to, to get into people's inboxes and get in front of them, which we traditionally haven't spoken to.
1: And how do those two halves of that compare? How does the, uh, the, the, the external drive on behalf of British Cycling compare with the internal drive on behalf of, of your staff?
2: Yeah, I think, I think we've got this right, the blend. I think it's been complementary on, on both sides. So it's in terms of moving away from traditional sponsorship, which has been you know traditionally uh, cash investment returns for rights entitlements. This has been very much a, mutually beneficial exchange-based partnership so we've been helping grow you know the 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 base of British Cycling getting people to move and complementary to that we've helped to move the employee brand needle in terms of sentiment towards the HSBC um, places you know as a place to work um, you know near on 20-30% now we're over indexing in terms of satisfactory place to work based on some of the activities around this area as in getting mobile and getting people on bikes so we've it's it, for us. It's this virtuous circle of as much as we can help British Cycling in their cause. They've managed to do the same uh, on our side of the fence as well. So we're finding this this much more complementary approach now to our partnership.
1: And then just to bundle this last pair together. I mean, you, you might want to unpack them as as you go, but you know, Wimbledon and golf tournaments would tend to represent what people would have associated with HSBC as a sponsor a few years ago. Prestigious. Uh, high B two B possibilities, high possibilities for um, you know for driving hospitality sales and and and, and interest in in that part of uh, of the event sector and the sponsorship sector. How how's that evolved in in terms of delivery when you apply a slightly more data led approach?
2: Again, it's a, it's a good question. So yes, you're right. Traditionally, very much uh, event based, hospitality focused, B two B, biggest and best clients. In the room enjoying the delights of of wimbledon which which very much will always remain uh is the cornerstone of 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 the partnership for obvious reasons but uh, so what we've decided to or or the area we've really focused on now is how do you how do you widen the approach how do you widen the the value return from this so we've just run a uh, uk summer of sport campaign through green room the offering being to to win sort of the ultimate sporting experience now we've had an amazing upturn in terms of uptake of HSBC marketing opt-ins off the back of that. So, just through that that entry funnel point of you know sort of win tickets to Wimbledon, which is you know relatively exclusive in terms of, of access, we've managed to then, um, as we've sort of walked them down, I guess the the lead nurture path through email comms and offering up content. Um, we've now got a, a captive audience who we've never had in the past and. You know it was a simple entry mechanic, but we've you know through the people's passion for for that sport, for the event itself, we've now got a captive audience we've we've now managed to put the finishing touches on the conversion element of the of the funnel so we can now actually identify from that exercise how many new account offerings have we um have we have we made?
1: Guys, I think we're going to take a quick break at this point, but there's uh, some more I want to get on to about HSBC's path to younger users and also. Uh, what rights holders can do to appeal to brands like HSBC. We'll be picking up with that part of the conversation just after this.
2: Hello, I'm Matt Rogan. I've spent my career creating and scaling businesses in sports and entertainment. And now I'm talking to smart leaders inside and outside sport to get their ideas on managing change and building towards a better future. You can listen in on the Playbook podcast a collection of candid, agenda-free conversations full of practical advice your company can work with. Get your new episodes right here on the Sports Pro feed and check out the rest of the series wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back to the Sports Pro podcast. Um, Tom, it's maybe a truism, it's maybe uh, a cliche, but you know what? Kind of a role the digital content and data play in helping sponsors to reach a younger demographic um, than they might do with kind of traditional branding. I think I think just being aware, and I think
0: we're hyper aware now that it's been drilled into us that the you know, the millennial audience or the younger generations are are really hard to connect with, despite them being constantly on on devices. But I think it goes back to. Yeah, what the the point of difference of um, you know, sport and entertainment actually has as part of the marketing mix is that we are tapping into passion points, and there are many, many different channels to be able to reach uh, a younger audience or just a broader audience. And you know, Sven has mentioned a few times around how we've used email as a tool, but the uh, the real the real opportunity here is when we start to broaden it out a little bit more and, um, and start to understand just where people are consuming, what kind of content, for what purposes, and then trying to uh, connect with them on a, on a broader range. So I think it's just being very much aware that they, there's all types of people using all types of platforms. I don't think there's a cookie cutter approach for, for just one way to find people, but you can definitely start to unpack some of the you know, partnerships, whether it be around a concert, to know that we're going to skew a little bit younger. And then you can start to uh, extrapolate what you know about your audience to then dig into the demographics, understand the segmentation to be able to select you know, a property or a way to communicate to them. Um, but there are a lot of different ways to be able to profile, use data and digital um, platforms to be able to understand where the users are. And then it is just, I think, a lot of a test and learn about what's going to connect with them the most and start to produce the right content for the right people.
1: Yeah, what's an example of that test and learn process? What's the discipline there?
0: Well, again, going back to um, you know, what you can uh, what you can do to, to track performance of content across various different social channels, whether it be paid or amplified, or the A/B t- testing of various different tools, but just to see what what kind of um, you know, duration of content, what cuts, what uh, you know, even orientation of, of a phone if you're going to be using a TikTok versus an Instagram. But um, all of these platforms are sending you back valuable information that can then be use to your advantage on what you produce next to have a greater impact.
1: Sven, it takes us into an interesting area for HSBC because banks famously are not brands that people use or people don't switch between banks very often. Um, You know, you get a lot of lifetime or near lifetime customers for your current account, for example, um, or your mortgage or what have you. Um, So you're targeting younger audiences more often than you think because you, that's such a valuable cohort to capture, because then you might have a decades-long relationship with them. And it, but it's a changing market, isn't it, for, for the financial sector, because you have a lot of these startups emerging, the kind of Starling banks and Monzos of this world. Um, so there's a, a, different, a, a different selection of options for, for younger, younger bankers or younger consumers.
2: Yeah, it's 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 true. The landscape is is rapidly evolving, and we're seeing more and more sort of competition in the in the FS space. But ultimately, again, looking at how you extract more value from your partnerships, if you look at the community pillar and connect that into sort of the early adopter banking phase, you can connect those two and and, and help capture that that new age audience as they come through. Um, and what we've been doing is trying to be a lot more uh, focused in terms of our proposition banking, connecting into our partnerships and. And espousing, I guess, the virtues of, of you know what we do and the reasons that we partner with certain properties um, and, again, showing that value return. So one of the examples we use is we've probably in the past been a little bit shotgun approach. There's so much noise out there. There's so much content out there and trying to be all things to, to all people uh, in terms of offering. And what we've sort of, I guess, switched to now is this idea of being or using, I guess, the, the rifle shot. So when you understand your data and, and where these potential prospects are Particularly in that in that youth demographic, using their passion points for a sport or a property or an energy of some sort to connect with them, and that 's where we've focused our energies on over the past couple of years again to that point of evolving how we use our partnerships now to help the greater the greater war effort
1: Yeah, I mean, what are you learning about what what a, 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 an established brand like hSbc um, what the perceptions are of it in that space
2: So I think the greatest shift now and we talk about this sort of on a daily basis, almost hourly, is our, our presence of brand purpose and values. So what does our brand stand for and what are we doing ultimately in sort of layman's terms to make the world a better place and connecting through people's passions for that. So a lot more of our focus is around the societal and the causal-led approaches uh, and connecting with the youth who's particularly pertinent for them um, on the back of that as opposed to the, the more sort of traditional sponsorship approach, which is pure passion for you know said sport or subject matter. So we're really focusing on that. It's very much, and we're asking our rights holders, you know, a lot more questions around, you know, the, the, the credibility and authenticity around it, whether it be DNI or societal or causal-led approaches. Um, and, and that's sort of, I guess, the, the new future focus for us in terms of new partnerships as well. What are they doing from a purpose-led approach that complements our own? And vice versa, I'd argue, as well.
1: And um, what can you, are you able to ground that in anything? Is there, are there any uh, aspects of partnerships that we talked about in, in part one that you could revisit in that context?
2: I, I think um, our culinary strategy is an interesting one. So as opposed to what you traditionally would think would just be sort of, you know, offering up fine dining to, to customers around the world, the culinary strategy is actually wedded in, in you know, sustainability and, and where food comes from and, um, and sort of, I guess the new age approach to, to, to food growers, etc. and how HSBC is playing a role in, you know, creating this sort of sustainable food platform around the world. So it's changing the narrative. So you're sort of flipping the script in terms of that partnership. I suppose what we traditionally would have been a another sort of B two B exercise has actually become a pure purpose led approach. Um, and again, that's appealing to the to the younger audience as well. A lot more pertinent for them these days.
1: Tom, when you're tracking the the user journey there, or you're tracking the performance of content, how long term are we thinking here? Because you know you you think about a piece of digital content as being however focused it is. It's it's pretty ephemeral quite often but how do you how do you map a kind of longer journey and 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 see how the performance of that content is affecting the broader strategy when it comes to a partnership
0: yeah i I think this is probably where the um the power of partnerships comes into it that through any partnership i can use wimbledon as the example where what we do is to try to tier it into different categories. So it gives us some longevity across different platforms to talk to an audience across different channels. So during a tournament itself, we were using the, the access to, uh, to, to match footage um, around the, the HSBC plays of the day. So we were able to use that in, in quite a reactive way. By the end of the day, there's a voting mechanism that is linked to, to data acquisition and a bit of audience insight as well that can be put out over social channels um for that ongoing kind of brand awareness brand engagement and then data acquisition piece but then that is grounded in a bit more of a structured plan around what content are we going to keep on talking to that individual about which is where we do um you know really uh dovetail well into the work of csm more broadly and hnk another um, partner of or agency of uh of hsbc's but through that process of capturing capturing some kind of information, we're also understanding more about their preferences across other partnership types. So if we are then understanding that somebody has an, in, an interest in Wimbledon and then golf and then cycling, then we can start to use all of the content that's being produced for various different partnerships to have a, uh, a more structured conversation with them without pushing sales because I think that's the one thing that turns everyone off really quickly. But it is more just finding about what we what that individual likes, what they're interested in, and and hopefully connecting with them on on that partnership level. So there, there's enough content out there to really um, fill a pretty coherent uh, and longer term lead nurture strategy. But it starts a lot of the time with just the the access to to, to footage to partnership content that is quite reactive, which is probably a, a big benefit of any partnership.
1: And what are you finding about the breakdown between? Rights led stuff, so clips like you said, a play of the day stuff, an original creative, another maybe more reactive stuff that might come up um, over the course of an event or over the course of a of a season. Um, that's that's much quicker, but kind of captures captures a moment in conversation on these platforms.
0: Well, I, I think I think even just with the with the Wimbledon example, that the, in in the sense of a partnership, we don't want to shoehorn just HSBC content in the middle of a two-week tournament, but we wanna use that two-week tournament as a way to align with you know, a property that adds a bit more value back into the fan experience, but also through that data acquisition piece, it is also bringing them closer to the experience themselves. Um, but that that is a that is the simplest way to start the conversation. So we know that they're interested in one, one thing at that point, that's tennis. So we won't get in the way of that conversation because that's the most valuable thing for us to understand right now. But then after that is that, that, that relationship-building exercise, of like you've got really rich content, you've got really good stories, and they're on themes that Sven has talked about earlier, whether it be sustainability or it might be around technical advancements, it might be around leadership, it might be about diversity. Um, that is where you can have a more meaningful conversation probably post-tournament um, around the clean air, but it's still linked back to the reason why the conversation started in the first place. Um, but that's that's really i think where the opportunity lives mm-hmm. and how you can balance out that reactive partnership content with more um, brand led partnership content
2: I think just to to build on that too tom from from our side and to that earlier point around us in group partnerships looking to be more things to more parts of the bank if that's our internal match, well, off the back of that we now have direct dialogue and and conversations with you know five different areas and within retail so we've managed to to include five different propositions as part of that campaign. And and the sort of the complementary after effect of all of that is now is when they go out for their next their next campaign using their own channels, we can help build on the, I guess, the database access that we've generated off the back of Wimbledon to help their build their own activity. And so in terms of this virtuous circle that sort of both sides of the equation are, are winning both sort of Wimbledon now have an identified market growing their base, as are we, right down to the product and service offering that we can offer. We can help um, amplify their activity through being a lot more targeted through the information. So you can start to see sort of the wheels in motion now and, and where it's where, where things are heading.
1: Let's um, let's turn the conversation on its head a bit for the next few minutes, um, just to take us into the end of the pod. But we, we, we've talked a lot about what HSBC looks to get out of its partnerships now. But when you're in the room with a rights holder, or when you're maybe scanning the marketplace for for someone you might want to partner with. What are you looking for now? How does a rights holder appeal to a brand like HSBC?
2: So I touched on it before. I think you can see where the world within partnerships is moving to. Um, And again, the the term partnerships, I think, is is relevant these days as opposed to sort of traditional sponsorship. This two-way sort of value exchange is is more the platform um, of choice now. But there's, there's a couple of things. The new world, in terms of the science of sponsorship, I think is important. So we're asking questions now that we probably haven't in the past around sort of deep dive audience insights, you know, the, the understanding of the power of data analytics, you know, audience segmentation. Um, and then again, the, you know, the subject we're on today, we're, we're asking more and more questions about how to empower, I guess, the, the digital fan engagement experience um, for greater returns on our side of the, of the fence. Um, and I, I guess there's, there's just a lot more questions being asked than ever before. Um, I've talked about sort of moving away from the transactional traditional model, which was fee for ticket signage and hospitality, into a whole lot more in terms of the um, the return shopping list. So there's a, a a whole it's almost a deeper and wider conversation that we're having now with our um, prospective rights holders and existing and, and new.
1: Yeah, and how how extensive can the effects of that be? Are we looking at perhaps a future where you're going beyond the the four year terms outside of a certain cohort of um, of, of sponsorship assets, or you know what what are the implications? of that kind of approach going to be on the relationships between rights holders and uh, and sponsors
2: yeah I think there's there's something that I've, I've seen um, come to fruition now um, and I think you'll see more and more of it evolve over time this idea of almost the flex and fit rights holder offering which is I don't think your established rights that you get set in year one will be the same as what you get in year four I think that will constantly evolve and flex and as priorities and objectives change on both sides of the equation both rights holder and brand that you'll see uh, uh, almost sort of almost horse trading, I guess, between rights uh, to meet different objectives. So I think that's something that you'll see evolve. No longer are you subscribing yourself to four years of being locked into a, a set of rights because you know technology and, and so many subject matters are evolving so rapidly at the moment that you'll need your uh, your partnership to to flex accordingly to meet those needs.
1: And how how enlightened? <laughs> not not want to get you in too much trouble. Um, in your next next meeting with uh, with a new prospect but how enlightened are rights holders becoming about um about some of this stuff
2: uh look at, at certain times i feel the industry is is not sto- it's not moving as quickly as it should and at other times i feel as though it's rapidly evolving uh and headed in the right direction and and you know we've talked about the the data is the new oil phrase that gets bandied around a, a lot and i think rights holders are very much clocking onto that and and, and there's something that comes with that for mind, which is that that's one thing. Extracting, if you want to use the analogy, the oil from the ground is one thing, but actually refining it and putting it to work is another. And that's where the likes sort of Green Room have been just instrumental for us in terms of putting that data to work, to extract this new value. And we're using those, I guess, the proof points to go back to a rights hold and say, so look, if we're going to have this conversation around, you know, a future partnership, then this is going to be a new cornerstone to it, um, and this whole new space. So they're, they're very much. I think caught me onto it. Um, some better than others, but it is very much a mainstay now of, of conversations, both existing and I guess more so moving forward.
1: Yeah, Tom, from your perspective, when you're working on the rights holder side, what are, what are some of the ways that they need to be tooling up to, uh, to make themselves attractive to, to sponsors?
0: Yeah, from, from our side, this is, this is where we get really, really excited about what the opportunity could look like for a rights holder, because there's There's an untapped opportunity at the moment where we've got brand spending almost 350 billion US dollars a year on digital advertising. A lot of that going into programmatic and a lot of that is almost completely fraudulent. Rights holders are sitting in a a position now where they have huge first party data. They have great access to great content and they've got IP and the passion that can connect all of the things together. But they haven't been sullied by the improper use of ad technology just yet. And we've seen across the board like the 2,500 campaigns we've delivered um, so far, we've seen the over-indexing in in performance against industry benchmarks for paid media, content engagement, data acquisition, and direct response like email opening through rates by almost 130%. So there is an opportunity for rights holders to position themselves differently and to to build on what Sven had just mentioned is that that flexibility is what we should be looking for a rights holders. And if there's probably three things that I would try that we try to drill home with any rights holder that we work with, it is you really can't afford to to throw digital data content in like the stake knives of a partnership anymore. Um, it has to be given a value and an appropriate value, but it really to, to the next point of you, the rights holders then need to really think like an activation agency. So just on what Sven said as well, it can't just be um, a lot of the theory and no practice. But if we can start to think like that activation agency from a rights holder point of view and offer something to a brand that's different and the model that we use is Engage, Grow and Connect. So how do you use the assets in the right way? So not just getting a contract that says you get two emails, six social media posts, one content campaign. Um, It is very much around stitching all of the entitlements together in a meaningful way that we can use to grow the audience and start to build more insight around it, but then to connect them. So then having your house in order from a technology point of view, um, but not just the technology itself, all well and good to have platforms, but have the human enablers to also uh, really deliver the impact across the board. So I think there's some really simple things in that in that vein that rights holders can do that can untap new budgets, and then we can start to talk about what a performance-led partnership can be where you still have all the rights, the IP, the, the traditional benefits in there, but have something scalable that is linked to that um, that broader digital media budget. That, that is where I think the, the two things, that we the two parts of this come together, and the true sense of a partnership can deliver really strong commercial returns, but it grow the pie for everybody and connect more fans with the things that they love. Um, but I think that's the biggest opportunity that's staring the rights holders in the face at the moment
1: and is there in in terms of the readiness for that kind of approach is there a tiering of that are you seeing just different rights holders at different stages of their development is does it tend to be that straightforwardly bigger ones with bigger budgets to manage digital transformation are further along or is that not really the case
0: uh not not necessarily I think um the, the thing about coming from Australia to the UK was uh, it wasn't like the rights holders were doing anything differently over here. It was probably that they were uh, just leaning on the fact that they were big uh, and can command the, the the value that's driven through the eyeballs um, as the main uh, the main source of value in a partnership. So, so I, there is definitely a tearing, but I think at the very the, the very starting point of it is to be open and flexible with the way that you structure. Um, in, in what we're discussing, the digital and data component of it as part of a partnership. But I think ultimately, um, that'll start to feed the development of, uh, of the resources internally, but also help to fund the digital transformation that might be required. But you don't have to start with all of the technology. A lot of, like, everyone has the, ca- the capability to think this way now. But partners can actually accelerate this and create a bit of a flywheel um, for partners uh, for themselves and the success of their brands in partnerships as well.
1: Let's uh, let's let's try and wrap it up a little bit and, and look at, at an important trend or a a a key takeaway I guess from each of you about how this market's going to develop and and how people are going to need to think about sponsorship and what the possibilities of it are in the next few years. Sven from your perspective, you know, what's going to drive the bottom line for you guys? Um, when it comes to your activities in the sponsorship space,
2: uh, I think I touched on it earlier. It's this idea of um, moving away with what could be seen as potentially a quite a narrow um, value offering in some in, in some respects, into broadening it out into being a whole lot more to more um, you know, a much wider customer audience base through your partnership. So that's uh, it's just almost changing the changing the angle that you're running at it from. Um, the second one for me, I think the change you're going to see on rights holder side, just to build on that last point would be around service offering. So at the moment you have traditional partnership uh, servicing um, personnel within rights holders who are looking to execute against your, your list of rights entitlements. Now, at the, at the bottom of that list slowly working its way up is this, this whole space around data and digital marketing, et cetera, and fan engagement. I think that's gonna move up to the top of the list and you're also gonna see those services brought in house as well. So you're gonna see a whole new skill and expertise in terms of partnership service offering in this space. That'll evolve over time, particularly for the rights holders who have, who have clocked how important this is to brands going forward. So they're probably the, the two areas of evolution I see um, taking place at the moment.
1: And Tom, from your perspective, what would you look to?
0: Yeah, not too dissimilar. Uh, I, I think that the, the first step is going to be around seeing you know, activations as an asset. So having them actually, that, that exactly what Sven was saying, seeing these full end-to-end, um activations being built into partnerships as a as a clear way to add more value but i think it's also important for rights holders to do that because then they they'll build more ownership of their own audience in a time that is usually you know the audience is owned by mr zuckerberg in the, the vast uh, majority of cases um i think the second point is around you know audience as an asset once you know more about them you can start to incorporate like give a real running head start to a new partner by being able to segment and communicate to the right audience at the right time because you know more about them. And the, I really think the third point was, is going to be around performance. So seeing genuine performance-led partnerships will attract a new range of brands that we haven't seen yet. So a lot of the digitally-led ones, like the cybersecurity ones, we've seen heaps in the, obviously the crypto space coming through. But I think once we get a, uh, an underpinning of performance, that's going to be a real game-changer for rights holders.
1: Well, lots to chew over. Hopefully, lots for people to act on as well. But I think that's going to do it for another Sports Pro podcast. Thank you very much for your time, Tom Huggins. Thanks, Alan. And Sven Glor. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back with you again very soon. Bye bye.
2: The Sports Pro podcast is published by Sports Pro Media.